Let's take our Bibles and go to Psalm 110. Psalm 110. Over the last several years, I'm certain that many of you have noticed, like I have noticed, that the retail industry seems to get into the Christmas spirit earlier and earlier each year. You notice that? And uh, um, I read an article, I did not witness this, but I read an article where uh, one store uh, or chain was starting to show uh, Christmas things in July this last year. Of course, their motive would be completely different than ours. They have a financial goal and motive and trying to get ahead of ever other people, I guess, or other businesses. Um, on our prayer, our praise and thanksgiving service uh, for Thanksgiving, right before Thanksgiving, at the conclusion of that service, we had a team of people that took out the fall decorations and, and got out the winter decorations in preparation for this season we're in. Did a beautiful job, did they not? And I certainly enjoyed seeing these things here in the auditorium as well as in our foyer and throughout the building. Uh, but again, it's, it's a signal we're in that season. This last Wednesday evening was the 30th of November, and we sang our first Christmas song, Go Tell It on the Mountain. And so we are officially in that season. And I uh, certainly enjoyed the great music this morning with that theme behind it. Uh, in my um, preparation for this week's message, I was looking at uh, last year and the year before the messages that I preached and was going back in my files and looking. I didn't want to repeat anything and a year later or something. I wanted to be reminded where I was at. And I was reading through some of those notes just quickly. And I noticed in one of those, I said, hey, I love this Christmas music, but I hate that we only do it once a year, that we just take time for just uh, uh, this month. And I said in that message, I said, we need to schedule a Sunday in June or July and, and, and just have a day of Christmas music. And we forgot, Kevin. And so would you put that in the notes, put that in the, Christy, put that in the calendar, the church calendar, some Sunday in June, uh, we'll just sing some uh, Christmas songs because they're rich in theology and doctrine. In fact, we're, it's going to go along with the message today where the theme that I want us to get at, but really a lot of these, these songs, they might have a Christmas verse, but many of them go beyond that and they go to a throne. They go to the eternal throne. They go to the throne that's going to be established. It's taking his first coming, that I'll talk about in a moment, and reminding us of his second coming. And we learn that in many of the songs that we sing at this season. And again, it's a shame that we only sing them. Uh, and I say it would be odd when it's the middle of the summer, we just start breaking them out. But it would be good for us to hear the words behind them. Uh, and, and of course, the Christmas season should be in our lives, in our church, 365 days out of the year, not just one month. We are celebrating the Advent, or the coming of Christ. What we are celebrating in this season is the first coming of Jesus. Now that started with Jesus coming as this innocent child born of a virgin, very important thoughts there. Born of a virgin. And uh, uh, that God became man. And came as this innocent child which led to his perfect sinless life. And 
then his sacrificial death followed by his glorious resurrection. And because of all those things, he provides salvation for each of us. To those that will call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. And it all began with this, this, this season that we're celebrating here, the advent or the first coming of Jesus Christ. And certainly those thoughts, those reasons are worthy of our attention today, this, this month, and really throughout the year. Let us not forget the coming of Jesus Christ. Now I want to give maybe a little lengthier or more detailed introduction because I'm not just introducing today's message, but I want to introduce the, the messages for this, this season of Christmas. Uh, on our Wednesday evenings for several months now, we've been studying the end times uh, in our Bible study on Wednesday nights, and we've looked at the end times in a chronological order. Uh, how we believe the Bible presents them and the order that we believe they will appear in. And the order that I presented to the church, which I believe is biblical, uh, we started with the church age, which you're currently in. We are living in what is known as the church age in the Bible. And we have this next event, this key event that we're looking for, that is like the trigger that's going to uh, uh, release all these other future end-time events. It's like this one little stone that once we move it, the avalanche of end times are upon us. And I'm looking forward to that day because it's going to release or re re remove the bride of Christ, the church, and will be removed out of this world and will be raptured by the Lord Jesus Christ into heaven. This is the next event in our prophetic calendar. We, we, we describe it as being imminent. It means that it could happen at any moment. There's nothing that needs to take place in order for the rapture to take place. It is possible that Jesus Christ could come back before this service is over. That's the way we look at the rapture, his return for his church. And so there's the church age, next is the raptured. And let me just quickly go through these things. We've covered uh, them in, in our Wednesday night service, but it's followed by the judgment seat of Christ and then the tribulation, this period of time of God's wrath. And we'll even read a little bit of that this morning in our text here in just a moment of God's wrath upon this earth during the tribulation period. It's been a lengthy, the longest part of our study on Wednesday nights because it is this, this incredible time of when God's wrath is poured out upon a, a world that has rejected him, that has rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the conclusion of that tribulation period, which we just completed Wednesday evening, is the second coming of Christ found in Revelation chapter number 19. It begins with a short, brief battle called the Battle of Armageddon. And then it moves immediately then into a reign of Jesus Christ here on the earth called the Millennial Reign. We call it the Millennial Reign because it will be a thousand year reign of King Jesus here on the earth. It's going to be an amazing time here on earth. Unlike this, this earth is, has not known in thousands of years where there will be peace, there will be prosperity. 
Uh, uh, It is a time when the the Bible describes the wolf and the lamb shall lie down together, eat together. There will be peace and prosperity. It's going to be an amazing time for a thousand years of King Jesus ruling here on this earth. At the conclusion of that, there's a brief time where there's again a rejection of the Lord. Uh, It's amazing to me that even during this time of peace, prosperity, perfectness, there will be people that will reject him at the end of that thousand years, followed by one more battle, and then that would lead us to a great white throne judgment, and then an eternal throne. This is where I would, I don't find, uh, count myself as an authority on, uh, on the end times at all. In fact, I've learned much just studying and preparing for these things, but of the things of the end times that I'm looking forward to learning more on is this, this latter part of the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, where there will be an eternal throne where King Jesus will rule and reign forever and we will be able to worship him forever in this eternality. Those are the things, and we have those things before us today. We look forward to those things today because of the first coming of Jesus Christ. These things that we are anticipating, known as triggered here by this second coming of Christ. Now, in our Sunday mornings, we've been studying the Psalms recently. We've had 13 messages out of 12 of the Psalms. And um, we don't typically maybe consider the Psalms to be a prophetic book, although there is much prophecy in them. And there are verses and passages that are without a doubt what we would call messianic psalms. Psalms where Christ is the topic. Now the subject matter of those psalms often are veiled in human form or human circumstances, but they're obviously messianic, speaking of Jesus. In fact, maybe the most familiar one or the most significant one is a psalm, Psalm 22. In fact, I think I may be preaching out of that next Sunday, if the Lord continues to direct my heart. Let me just give you a little preview. I'm not going to read the psalm, but if you were to read Psalm 22, you would see that it's, it's written by David, and it's written as if David's writing of himself, but it's not long that you realize David's not writing about himself. David's writing about another king. Now, whether David was aware of all what he was writing about there, I don't know, but it's not King David that's the topic there it's king jesus that's the topic there and and let me just read what 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 charles spurgeon old preacher of old said about psalm 22 he said david and his afflictions may be here in a very modified sense but as the star is concealed by the light of the sun he who sees jesus will probably neither see or care to see david so David is the author. David is the, he's writing of himself, but he's in a sense writing of King Jesus later in his death on the cross. And we'll look at that probably next week uh, as we study some of these messianic psalms. And so for this reason, during this Christmas season, I believe the Lord's leading me to focus on the psalms or portions of the psalms where we see the Messiah Jesus Christ highlighted. And whether the subject matter is about his first coming, his second coming, uh, some of his attributes, we'll let the Psalms guide us in that, but I want us to see Christ 
in the Psalms. And we'll begin here in Psalm 110. Read and follow along with me these seven verses. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through the kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill in the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. Father, I pray today that you'd help us as we begin this brief series within a series. Christ in the Psalms. Help us to realize that even thousands of years before your first coming, the plans were already in place. And really, Lord, we can go back from the beginning of time. Before time, these plans were in place with you. We're grateful for you. We pray, God, that we'd learn much. We'd be inspired. We'd be challenged by your word today and in these upcoming lessons, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. This psalm is a um, very special psalm to me, especially verse number 7. He shall drink of the brook in the way, therefore shall he lift up his head. As a young preacher in my first ministry um, back, I was served in Londonderry, New Hampshire from 1994 to 2002 as a youth pastor and a Christian school teacher in our ministry there. And... and um, Sometime fairly early on in that, and I don't remember the exact dates, but uh, uh, my wife's brother and his wife had a little boy. His name was Logan, and he died at four months old. He had a condition, uh, a disease he was born with, with one of those really long names. And, and uh, they were, have, had just recently moved and were in between churches, had not found a church home, did not have a church pastor at that time. And, and they had asked me, they knew that Logan was getting towards the end of his life, and they had asked me if I would preach his funeral when that day came. And um, it would have been my first funeral, and uh, certainly a difficult one to preach. And I remember praying about it often and on one particular Sunday, my pastor read from Psalm 110, and verse number 7 is the verse that spoke to my heart. He shall drink of the brook in the way, therefore shall he lift up the head. And so that's where I go to frequently when I'm in this, this passage of Scripture, and that's, a, that's the passage I use to try to be an encouragement to my brother-in-law and sister-in-law and the family and friends that were there on that day of Logan's funeral service. And so I've often thought of this psalm, but I got to admit to you, I, I did not have a full understanding of this psalm. And it's true that God sometimes will use just a verse, and it speaks to our hearts, it ministers to us, and, and, and it meets the needs, and it did that day for me, and it did in that service 
I can remember family and my brother-in-law and sister-in-law coming to me and telling me how that ministered to their hearts for weeks to come. And so I'm grateful for that. But in, 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 in future years beyond that, learning more about this, this is a psalm that is speaking of future events concerning our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so there's much to this. The 110th Psalm, although just seven verses, is believed to be the most quoted or referenced psalm in the New Testament. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce, a uh, Bible teacher and author, he counted 27 direct quotes or references to Psalm 110 in the New Testament. Uh, Notice with me just one of those passages. Hold your place here, but go over to Luke chapter number 20 for just a moment. Luke chapter number 20, verse 39. Jesus, as he often did, he's having some conversation with religious leaders and people of the day. And, and of course, he's trying to show them that he is the Messiah. The religious group are rejecting him for the most part. He's having a conversation with the scribes. Verse 39 says, Then certain of the scribes answering said, Master, and that just means teacher or rabbi, thou hast well said. And after they had durst not ask him any questions at all, and he said unto them, How say they that Christ is David's son? And David himself saith in the book of Psalms, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore calleth him, Lord, how then is he then his son? And so you can see this passage of Scripture is referenced by Jesus. We have accounts of that in Luke. We have accounts of it in Matthew and Mark. Peter at the sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 will quote from Psalm 110. Paul will reference it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 25. And if you believe Paul's the author of Hebrews, or whoever the author of Hebrews is, it again is referenced in two different passages there, in chapter 1, verse 13, and chapter 10, verse 13. It's a psalm that is referenced frequently. And I want to point out to you this morning just three thoughts about it. I want us to notice Jesus in three fashions as presented in this psalm. I first of all want you to see him presented as King Jesus, secondly as Priest Jesus, and then thirdly as Victorious Jesus. Uh, The first three verses we see him presented as King Jesus. Notice those verses again. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. In the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. In fact, that's what Jesus was doing there in the New Testament in his conversation with the scribes. The religious leaders were claiming David was writing of himself. This this was David was the subject matter. And, And so Jesus calls them out on it. Why would, you, why would David tell the Lord to sit at his right hand? He says he's not speaking of David, he's speaking of Jesus. 
These first two verses are referencing the place of authority where Jesus has been since his ascension into heaven. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus leaves this earth. He ascends back into heaven. And since then, he has been at the right hand of the Father, in his throne, in his place. And he will remain there until Revelation chapter number 19 when Jesus comes back to this earth to establish his throne and his kingdom here. He's at the right hand of the Father. Now in this season, we celebrate the first coming of Jesus Christ, his humbling of himself and coming as a little child. And because of that fulfillment and all that came after that, his sinless life, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection, we now look forward in confidence to his second coming that is referenced in these verses. He says, I'll make thine enemies thy footstool. The rod of thy strength out of Zion. Zion is another name for Jerusalem. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. We say today, and we believe today, Jesus is the king of kings. He is King Jesus He's now on his throne at the right hand of the Father in heaven, but one day he is coming back to this earth and he will establish his throne. And so let's recognize Jesus. Let's not just look at him as this little baby in a manger, but realize he is the king, King Jesus. Not only do we see King Jesus, we see priest Jesus. He says he's a priest in verse number 4. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now it's interesting because in the Old Testament, a priest came through the line of the Levites. In fact, the author, uh, scratch that. I was thinking of another another psalm there, but of of a man that was a Levite that wrote a psalm, and we'll talk about that another time. But Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah, which gave him the line, the earthly line, to the king. To the, to the, to, he was a rightful heir to be the king of the Jews. So how can he also be our priest? And that's where this man Melchizedek, well maybe a man, Melchizedek, comes into play. How many of you remember Genesis chapter 14 where we're introduced to Melchizedek? He comes there in in the life of Abraham, and Abraham ties to him, and Abraham uh, 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 works with this man, this interesting guy that has no beginning and no ending. And then we learn more about him in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews references him him in chapter 5, verse 6, chapter 5, verse 10, chapter 6, verse 20, and chapter 7, verse 17 and 21. And what we learn is that Jesus is not just the king, but he's also a priest after, not the order of the Levites, but after the order of Melchizedek. We'll just get to the, to the gist of this. Melchizedek, we believe, to be a, a Christophany, a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ here on earth. 
Melchizedek. He came in this fashion here. And, and we see him here. The, I believe he was presented as king of Salem or, or of Jerusalem there. And so we have this. And this is the order in which he can also be the priest. Our access to God today is through Jesus Christ because he is our great high priest. This morning I'm in church, I've led us in prayer a couple of times. Sean prayed for us today. Uh, each of these times we enter into prayer, we, we go into the presence of God. And that's made possible because of our high priest, Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, there was no access to God except through the high priest. Now Hebrews references this so frequently because Hebrews is teaching us that Jesus is better than all of those Old Testament things were, including the priesthood. Jesus is greater, Jesus is better, and it's through Jesus Christ that you and I have access. I'm going to read some verses. You'll do, do well to write them down and take note of them at another time. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 21. Listen to these verses. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Listen, I can come into the presence of Jesus not because of me, but because of the priest, Jesus Christ. He gives us access. He's King Jesus. He's Priest Jesus. And then let me conclude with these thoughts this morning. He's Victorious Jesus. Back in our text, verses 5 through 7, David says, The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. Speaking of these events we've been studying on Wednesday nights, he shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. Verse 7 is really in reference to his victorious battles. He then drinks of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up his head. He's completed the battles and the battle's over and he reaches down and he takes a drink of the brook that's in the way there. That'll be fulfilled one day. When Jesus completes these things. But what I want us to see today is that Jesus is victorious. Again, this is in reference to Revelation 19 and the battle of Armageddon. Now, there are many battles and conflicts that we go through today that we're not often aware of what the outcome will be. Until they're completed. But that is not true when you look to Jesus. Not true of him at all. There may be dark and difficult and discouraging days that we live in, but I can assure you today, church, in the end, Jesus is victorious. Amen. There is no doubt who's going to win at the who's going to win this war. King Jesus is victorious. I look forward to that day of victory there as described in Revelation 19. But I want you to know today. That each and every day you can be victorious through Jesus Christ. It's not a Christmas hymn per se, but there is victory in Jesus. 
And we can live every day in victory. Think back to the day of your salvation. Can you remember that day? I trust you can today. I'd encourage you to go back in your mind right now to those moments, those events that led you up to that day that you received Christ as your Savior. What a wonderful day that was. You know what that was? That was victory through Jesus Christ. Jesus provided that salvation for you and you received the gift of salvation and there was victory that day. Think about the day that you surrendered some area of your life to the will of God. God been working in your heart and your life. I, I, I really believe that day for me uh, of, of surrendering to God's will in my life was a harder and more difficult day for me than it was for my salvation. I was longing to be saved as a little child. I had been raised in a Christian home. I, I had heard the gospel many times. I desired to be saved. And so that was really not a, a, a difficult step for me. It was a time of under, learning and understanding and getting to that point and then receiving the gift of salvation. But several years later, in my teen years, when God was working in my heart about ministry, about following the Lord, now that was a bigger hurdle for me to cross over. I struggled with it. In fact, I fought against it. And I can remember being in a service, sitting in the second row, sitting with my family, and under great conviction as God was leading and God was calling me into the ministry, and I had been fighting it, and I can remember in that invitation holding on to that front pew, and I can remember when I had victory, when I released in my heart, and then I released with my hands, and I said, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to rely upon you, and I allowed God to get the victory in my life. And follow the will, the will of the Lord in my life. There's victory through Jesus Christ. And so we see Jesus presented as a king, as a priest, and as the victor. Perhaps you still need victory in Jesus. You've never given your heart to the Lord. You're not one of his today. You know, the Bible describes you as an enemy of Christ if you're here today without salvation. You may say, I'm not an enemy of Christ. I, I appreciate him, I love him. But until you surrender to him, until you have victory in your heart and salvation, the Bible says you're an enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you don't have to be. The Lord loves you. God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son. You talk about an amazing gift. And you talk about receiving an amazing gift in this season than to get the gift of salvation. Oh, I trust today if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior and you feel the drawing of the Holy Spirit, you feel that tug in your heart that only God can do, oh, would you respond today to him? Would you let, the, would you let that tug pull you to Jesus today and receive the gift of salvation? Oh, what a blessing that would be. What an encouragement that would be. What a, an amazing victory that would be. And then Christian, perhaps you're here today and you know God's been working on your heart. You know you've not surrendered everything. You know you're holding on to some things and you know the Lord's been pulling you. Hey, trust me. Believe me. Surrender to me and my will for your life. Will you let him have that victory today?
I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. King Jesus, Priest Jesus, and Victorious Jesus. And I want to focus this invitation on will you let him have the victory in your life today? If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, will you let him get the victory by receiving Christ as your Savior? Christian, you know that you should be doing more than you're doing. There's something in your life that the Holy Spirit's been working on you about. Will you allow him to have that victory today in your life? If our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I wonder today, how many of you can say, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I can go to a time and place in my life where Jesus got the victory when I became one of his children. I was born again. I was saved. And I can take you to a time and a place and I know that if I were to die today, I'd be with Jesus because he's my Savior. Do you know that today? And if you do, can you lift your hand up in great confidence today and praise to God that you know Christ is your Savior? Hold it up just for a moment. Let me get a look around this room. I'm the only one looking that I know of and I want to encourage you to lift that hand. Thank you. you may put them down. I wonder today, do we have somebody that may be here that says, I don't have that time. I don't have that place. I've never had that victory in my life, but I can feel the tug of the Lord in my heart. And I'm not sure about my salvation, but I'd like to know more about this, or I'd like to get this settled I wonder today, if you just lift your hand up in just a moment, I'm not going to call you, I'm not going to go back to you, but I promise you this, I'll pray for you. If you're saying today, yes, I, I'd like to know more about that, and pray for me, would you lift up your hand? I see one over here on my right. I see one over here on my left. Anybody else? You may put them down after you've raised them there. I recognize anybody else, though. How about this Christian is God working in your life about something? Is there an area of ministry, service? God's been doing something and, and pulling you to something and you know he has, but you've been resistant? You fought him? I wonder today, you say, Pastor, I, I feel that tug in my life sometimes. There's something I know God wants me to do and I'm just resistant to it. Would you pray for me? Anybody at all today, lift your hand up. Yes, there's an area of my life. Okay, over here. Over here, yes. Anyone else? There's an area of my life where I know I need to step up and let God have that victory. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and we're going to open up our invitation. And I pray that if the Lord's working in your heart, you'll respond today. You'll come. There'll be some folks here ready to pray with you, show you from the Bible, Talk to you through these things and get these things settled once and for all. Let Jesus have the victory today in your life. Father, I pray that you take this invitation. And Lord, for those especially that have raised their hand, God, Lord, we want them to find the peace that only you can provide, the victory that only you can provide. I pray, God, that you'd work in their hearts this morning. Lord, help them to step out. Help them to trust you today. They come today and let someone share the, from the scriptures how they can be saved or how they can get victory in trusting you for your will in their lives, God. So bless this time of invitation, Lord. May you be glorified through it in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you stand this morning as the piano begins to play?
the Lord's working in your heart. The altar's available. Would you come today and let the Lord get victory in your life? this second verse, especially those today that raised your hand about salvation, would you please consider taking that step? I know that first step seems really hard because that first step belongs to you. You take that first step, the Lord will help you the rest of the way. Would you surrender today? Just come down and tell one of these men at the altar that you want to talk to somebody about your salvation. They'll be sure to get you with someone that can lead you and guide you. Would you consider that in this next verse here? Step out this morning.